Brussels Reserve, aged 10 years, and then stabbed on the back on national television for the whole world to see. How are you today? Um, I'm, I'm alive. I'm here. It's exciting. We end our hiatus with a, uh, with a TNT drama of a uh, performance that came to us via ESPN. What, a, what an evening uh, that we will soon never forget, I suppose. I am upset. I will make those feelings known you are? From, the, from the outset here. I really? am upset. I've come around slowly as the night went on last night, but I remain upset. Uh, and and I will I will see both sides of this trade, but I will argue uh, I will argue the pro uh, pro Mikael Bridges side. That was Whoa. cold. That was vicious. That was c- capitalism and competitiveness at its finest. Jay Wright was asked uh, by the media if this is the sort of thing that reminds him the NBA is a business. By the way, the college is a business too. Let's let's get this straight. But uh, yeah, he seemed a little taken aback, I would say, um, in the most gentleman, gentlemanly Jay way that he possibly uh, could. That was cold. No matter how you feel about this, cold blooded on the part of Brett Brown. Cold blooded. Yeah, it was. Uh, paint me, paint me surprised that you're going to defend the uh, Mikel Bridges side of this. I I don't think anybody who listens to this or reads the cider knows you is uh is uh, surprised by this look it's it's a it's a tough situation um when we were going into the draft you know we did the roundup of opinions from people who write for the site um bob kind of nailed this at least a little bit said that he thought they would take zaire smith um last minute on twitter i kind of put out like what if they actually did pass over bridges and take zaire smith and then they drafted bridges and i want to let me get this part out of the way really quick because i don't want to be somebody who's going to like slander mikhail bridges i do have a question shame and and shame thank you i i really do think that there is a a bit of the homerism and a bit of the local kid narrative that i think makes this so much more painful but i think even before all this went down i had questioned pretty extensively and we hadn't done a show in a while so uh it's not something where there's like an audio record of this but in our slack i i'm not so sure that mikhail bridges if he had played at usc or if he had played at ucla and was our projected number 10 pick i don't know if we would have been as excited as it seemed like everybody was as much as we were to, to draft the local kid who had just won another national championship. And when they were when they were getting to 10 and Michael Porter Jr. had dropped, I mean, that that is a kid who was the number two high school player uh, coming out of his class a year ago and sustained a back injury at Missouri. And to me, if I'm sitting at number 10, which is never that much of a guaranteed spot to be drafting at, you're not necessarily going to get a superstar at number 10. I'd rather go with superstar potential than somebody who could be a good role player in the NBA. And I think ultimately Ooh, that's what okay. Mikel Bridges is going to be. Okay, and so, Let, let's hold on. Well, let's use what you just mentioned as a topic. I think we just have topic one there. Okay. Okay. A um, couple of things going back to the beginning of that. Uh, I think you're right. Obviously, there's some excitement for the local kid. And, and this is part of the thing. I'm not a Tony Bruno. Just give me a sec here because I got to unwind this. But uh, I'm not a Tony Bruno, anti-process, anti-analytical guy by any stretch. I'm, I'm all on board in that stuff 
in not just sports, in all business and, and life and the prim- pragmatic approach and using actual numbers to back up thoughts and feelings and all of that. So I totally get that side of it. But I do think um, this movement over the last five years to numbers and analytics and and um, you know, has really has in a way taken the life out of sports, uh, including for people who love the game. And I feel like somehow it is a is it is a crime to say, hey, you don't have a right to be disappointed, even though a player that you really like just got traded. Hey, you know, you don't have a right to be disappointed, even though, um, you know, even though something you were excited about, maybe you go back a couple of years, kick the can down the road. I feel like there's like this instant, like, no, 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 I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. You're not allowed to be disappointed by this, even if in the long run it might have a higher percent percentage chance of succeeding i hate that about sports i'm not saying it's wrong but i do kind of hate that about sports now how like you're only allowed to be disappointed for like 90 seconds and then you're like nope got to be on board run the numbers and having this 21 draft pick gives us a 12 percent higher chance of succeeding in the long run it potentially gives us some flexibility in a trade like okay slow your roll give me an hour and a drink before uh you tell me i'm not allowed to be upset that sort of thing i do dislike that on bridges um, you're right, totally the local guy thing. But I think some people are now treating this as, you know, oh, he was like an undrafted free agent. He was just a local guy. They were doing him a favor. He was legitimately, uh, 10 was probably some of the lowest he's gone. Uh, I mean, there were, there were points throughout the course of the season where he's projected to go six or seven. So Mikel Bridges is not, you know, just some other player who was being picked because he's a local kid. He is one of the few guys that ESPN noted last night has potential to be an NBA All-Star. Here's a stat. Uh, here's a stat from, because uh, I really like this. So so let me just read this one. I'm trying to scroll through our Slack where I posted it because You're our Slack. The, uh, the touches, our the sl- touches and the made threes. Yeah. Do you want to read it? Do you have it in front of you? I don't have it in front of me. Go ahead. Uh, n- neither do I. This is good pot. What's that? I said this is good pod. Hold on, well, well people will hang around because because uh, I want to read this. Okay, wait, nine eleven, nine eleven. What time? What time? What nine eleven. My God, what? No, I'm, I'm what reading Slack the, ta- I'm reading the times. Jeez, I'm reading the, the times in our Slack Hashtag chat. Conspiracy. Okay. My Slack. My Slack didn't update. My Slack didn't update. All right, I'll, I'll look for it in a second. The point is, he's not you know a throwaway player. He's an excellent three and D guy. He shot 43% from three this year. He hit over 153s in three seasons in college, most of them coming in the last two years. The stat that the stat I was going to read is the first player in college history, uh, and I'm ballparking this, but I think it's pretty well, accurate, well, okay, uh, to shoot 59% from two, something like 85% from, free, from, um, from the free throw line, and uh, over 40% from three and make over 153 pointers. And he did that in three years. A lot of that output coming in the last two years. Like he's not just another guy. He's a, he's an ex. He's six foot seven. He's got a seven foot wingspan. He's an excellent three point shooter. All right, I he got can, it. He's certainly athletic enough to get to the rim, and he's a great defender. So just before we, you know, we're going to talk about the trade and everything. Let's note that he was actually a very good fit for the team. So let's just make that clear. And we're, if, first of all, I think if he was coming from USC, he's not in this position because, yeah, I think program has a lot to do with that. That is not a knock against him 
That is part of his pedigree. He's an NBA-ready player. And for a team that's ready to contend, by the way, um, yeah, maybe you save a million bucks. Maybe use that pick for, for Kawhi. I'm not discounting those things, and we're going to talk about them. However, I do think you can occasionally overthink things. And not saying they necessarily did that here. I do see both sides. But I don't think anyone, anyone would have been upset if they walked out of this this draft with Mikel Bridges at 10. Here's a guy who fits a role you... Uh, He's a, he's a prototypical NBA player. He fits a role you need, and he's he's mature and ready to come in and play, whereas Zaire Smith is a bit of a project and, you know, a little bit less of a guarantee, certainly. So I see your Porter argument more than uh, Zaire Smith, quite honestly, because if you're going to work on both guys, I'd rather work on the guy who has superstar potential. And nothing, yeah, I didn't see a lot of Zaire Smith this year. Nothing I've read about him tells me that... Um, you know, he, he has that massive upside. So the stat you were looking for, mm-hmm. um, it was from a guy called at Kaiser Lindemann on um, Twitter from the Stepian. And it was Mikel Bridges is the only player in college basketball history to have at least 59.9 or 59.5% career two point percentage, a 35% three point percentage, uh, an 83.5 uh, free throw percentage. And 150 made three-pointers. The only person, and I, I remember in reading this stat, the only person who came close uh, had only made 50 three-pointers in college, and that was uh, Reggie Miller. With at least 53s, so, yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of take a step back, because you kind of railed on analytics. You kind of took the, uh, the the Bruno method here, even though you said you weren't going to. Um, I, I think, to some extent, I agree with you that analytics does take some of the human factor out of this. But honestly, Kyle, on a draft day trade, I think you kind of have to. Like, I, I think that analytics, in a sense, can help. And, you know... Uh, but I'm it, not arguing it, against that it, point. You know, does it, does it suck that his mom, Mikel Bridges' mom, works as the vice president of, what is it, PR or HR for the Sixers? HR. Uh, she went on to TV with Mikel saying... I'm, so happy to welcome in into the Sixers family. Go Sixers. And Mikel could barely speak because he, he just seemed so excited to be playing for his hometown team. Then, like, was it uh, right after the trade went down? I think it had been like seven minutes from the trade going down. Sports Illustrated put out a video of Mikel still wearing a Sixers hat, doing interviews about how awesome it's going to be to stay at home. And it was as if nobody had alerted him because they hadn't. Um, but then later in the night, he was in front of a camera with the sun's hat on and that big beaming smile on his face. I think he'll be okay. I think eventually it'll kind of wear off. And I think as much as it sucks, like you, you just know that it, it's a business. It just, the shame for him is it happened right after he was drafted by his hometown team and he had to learn about it on draft night. Um, so let's kind of look at, at what the Sixers ended up getting. This is where I think people were misguided. So it, it took a while for, I think everybody to come around to understanding the trade itself so Zaire Smith is a guy who had been called the perhaps the most athletic guy in the draft class and when we talk about athleticism we talk about wingspan um, and defensive prowess one of the things that killed the Sixers obviously in their series against Boston is their lack of wing ability to cover guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier on switches Ooh, and, I'm excited for this part of the argument go ahead no, I know, because you already built a, a BS narrative. Um, so when we were talking before the show, I, I have an idea where you're going to go, and I'm, I'm already angry about it. Um, Zaire Smith, just physical tools-wise, is a 6'5 wing, 
Mikael Bridges six, six with seven a, with a wing. six ten with a six ten wingspan. Mikael Bridges has I know. a seven one Jesus. wingspan. I'm, okay. I'm not no. Okay. Well, if we're gonna deba- if we're gonna debate, I just I thought we should no just make because, that clear. No, I'm not debating with you about oh, okay. the, the difference in physicality between Zaire Smith and Mikael Bridges. Well, just it's wait. important if you're talking about a wing defender. No, but because go ahead, the- carry on, carry on, carry on. You're not losing a ton. You're losing two inches on a wingspan, right? Three. That's all. Two, two inches three. in the NBA doesn't mean anything. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. You're gonna be insufferable. I'm not. I'm just. I'm gonna keep you at you're least a little yeah. bit honest. I'm not. You're, you don't even know what I'm saying, and you're already I, okay. trying to to like make it into this like BS Zaire versus Mikel Bridges. We all know well, that Zaire, we all that's know kind of what you do in a trade. No, because kind of. that's not the. Go ahead. Brett Brown himself said that Mikel Bridges would have slotted immediately in, right? Had playing time. Alluded to him potentially being a starter next season. I think it would have made it easier for the Sixers to move on from Robert Robert Covington and getting his 16 million off the. Uh, the cap for next year as you mention bridges might be a more consistent shooter Uh, go ahead go ahead i'm just keeping you honest it's not keeping me honest okay all right go ahead now Now it's being annoying so uh could he have slotted in and been your first guy off the bench or potential starter at small forward yeah for sure um brett brown even said in his uh post first round draft or conference press conference god it's late it's i'm so tired um that Zaire Smith was 1B, and Mikael Bridges was 1A. And he said that Zaire Smith's jump shot is a lot farther along than people think. One of the things that you and I were arguing about before we got started, and I don't want to get into an argument about, is he shot 45% from three, Zaire Smith did, uh, on only 40 attempts. So you can take that however you want. I would call that an insignificant sample size. I would okay, say that. Okay, real quick. He showed... <sighs> well, no, I don't want to get in an argument, but I, you're going to name things that are worthy of discussion and then call it an argument if I want to respond. So let me just, I think that's a good point, you bringing up his three-point uh, percentage and Brett Brown's comments. So let's go back and forth about those before we completely move on. Um, Brown Brown remarking that his shot is coming along nicely. Um, with all due respect to Brett Brown, this is the NBA coach who had, was at the helm for the Markel Fultz rookie campaign. So I'm not fully got to give Brett Brown the uh, benefit of the doubt in remarking that a shooter looks good in the gym, uh, especially a guy who is not considered to have a good shot. To be clear on Zaire Smith, he did shoot 45% from three. He attempted around 40 last year. in 40. Co- he, yep. uh, 40 in college, which is very low, especially for a guy who's a, who's a first-round draft pick, and to only attempt that many three-pointers, essentially a little more than one a game. Um, sounds to me a lot, j- just to give a, a kind of real-time NBA comp, someone we were talking about a lot last year who the Sixers could have drafted was Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson shot over 40% from three at Kansas, but no one actually considered him a good shooter, thought he would struggle to get that shot off in the NBA. Zaire Smith, um, according to multiple scouting reports, slow release, inconsistent, has struggles to create his own shot. Um, a lot of those same things were said about Josh Jackson, at least in terms of his three-point shooting ability. Um, just to be clear, Josh Jackson wound up shooting 26% from three last year in the NBA. Now, he's, and he attempted two and a half per game, so it's not like this is a crazy small sample size. He, he did fire up three-pointers. Not saying he can't develop one, not saying Zaire Smith can't, but um, I, I just, I'm hesitant to allow you to use the 45% college stat and and Brett Brown saying he looked good shooting in the gym as a, as a substitute for him actually being legitimate NBA three-point shooter, which no one 
you know, no scout actually thinks that he that he is. So just to be clear, Bridges, you know, but like slot right in potential high thirty percent three point shooter from the get go. Um, Zaire Smith is not. Uh, just just to be clear. Well, I wasn't trying to make the case that Zaire Smith is going to be a good NBA three-point shooter. But no, but you were you were painting you the, the positive aside. side of that. So no, I just well, wanted I was to just pointing out the fact that he has shot threes in college. Okay. You are so <laughs> upset that you are going to take any little thing and you're going to try to like. Uh, I'm not, I, but I, I just it's okay. like it's when okay. I, it's, it's still. It's still but you point you saying you. he shot threes in college. That's actually not a point. That's what I'm coming back at you at it's really not a point everyone shot threes and anyone who's played college basketball shot threes the line's like eight feet from the basket okay so just like just to be clear like it's that i don't think that is i think that's a useless sentence quite frankly unless you're going to qualify it with something that's all that's all i wanted 40 in his freshman year because he was only in college for one year michael bridges jacked up a ton of threes over how many three years right He's the best player on his college team in a first-round NBA draft pick. If he was That's a legitimate three-point legitimate three point threat, his college coach would have said, you know what, you could probably take more than one a game because you're by far our best player. Like, just just to be clear there, like, there's a reason why he only attempted 40. I'm not saying he's a bad player because he's not a great three-point shooter. But, like, just let's put these things in perspective. There's right, a so reason. Gonna, it's not because okay. he only played one year. It's because yeah, he's probably not a good three-point shooter. Well, I mean, he – okay. But he did only play one year in college. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it, okay. Like his numbers aren't going to look like anything compared to Mikel. Um, I'm, I'm not. So. Oh my god. Yeah. So let's kind of look at at the bigger picture here. So process Twitter was a bu- was a buzz because of the 2021 Miami pick that the Sixers acquired as part of the deal, and that pick is unprotected, and. When you kind of look at this thing, um, obviously it's it's something that even Brett himself said. You know, not only was Mikel going to slide in, potentially be a starter, that Zaire is going to have to fight for minutes, which I don't like to hear about the kid that you're going to draft at number ten. Again, this is why I would have preferred to get Michael Porter Jr. Um, but one of the things that I, I guess, in some way, people had missed initially, and by this point of people listening, they will understand, is that. As the Sixers look to make a trade, and as Brett Brown called it, star hunting, you needed another pick. And by virtue of the Brian Colangelo trade for Markel Fultz, you lost your biggest asset, and that was the Sacramento pick. And by virtue of that trade, that I think is what prevented you initially from being able to trade up, let's say, into the top five, if that was what their goal was, to go get like Luka Doncic, or if, God forbid, they had made the evaluation that they wanted Trey Young in the top five. Um, or that hellacious rumor that they wanted to trade 10 faults 26 for for Porter to move up in the top five yeah, that, that would have been which that can't I, have that been one, real by that the one way. I no that wasn't real like <laughs> that, that that was so clear that it wasn't real because everybody knew he was gonna fall the fact that he fell as far as he did was alarming but somebody like but, there is there is but hey you can value. get that again, sort of reporting for 40 percent off if you sign up within the next 10 beep, minutes. Beep, beep, beep. yeah only today only today. Only today can you get that reporting for 40% off. So they let's come back around. They will never offer this so deal again. Okay, go ahead. The, the Sacramento pick being gone is what kills you in in moving up in this draft or in a potential deal for, and and you know what, I, I keep beating the drum and I don't know if it's going to happen, um, 
But if, if you're looking to make a competitive package offer for Kawhi Leonard, right now, the, the team that can make the best offer for any player in a trade, any player, is Boston. And Brian Colangelo and his big collars gave away the most unique and the most valuable future trade chip that the Sixers had um, as part of, you know, Hinky's legacy, right? And so Boston could go out, and at any point, they could do one of a few things. They could package, they could potentially have four first-round picks next year, including Memphis's first-round pick, which should be valuable. Um, they could make a package deal and go after Anthony Davis if they want. They could go after Kawhi Leonard in a trade with a much more attractive package than the Sixers could. They can go after whoever they want. Now, that doesn't mean, obviously, that the other team has to trade away their star player, but um, it is still something that you know is going to be enticing. The the one it thing, also does help that Brett Brown apparently told Zaire Smith that he uh, reminds him of a young Kawhi Leonard. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you can work that into a package, but yeah, well, uh, see, that's the that's pick why I'm not, Zaire go. So yeah, that's why I'm not trying to get too upset about like Zaire Smith as a prospect. I like athletic players, right? Um, I want to see somebody who can shoot, which is why I'm bummed in a sense that they didn't keep Mikel because yes, the Sixers needed a spot up shooter, and Bridges fits that need. Um, but if they ultimately think that Zaire Smith is going to be a guy that will have value in a potential trade um, to to San Antonio, then then fine. I mean, we talked about it going into the draft. The Sixers' best package they could offer would be like 10, 26, and then like Covington and or Dario if you didn't want to include Volts. And based on R.C. Buford's little press conference, I don't know if you saw it, there was a little scrum around him for about 30 seconds, and the clip was going all around Twitter last night. Buford looks devastated. I mean, he he was asked about Kawhi, and he said that the goal is to still try to figure out a way to make him be able to stay as part of the Spurs family. But that guy looks totally dejected, Kyle. He looks like a parent who got the phone call late at night that his kid got pulled over with a DUI. That's legitimately what R.C. Buford looked like. Or or I, whose kid was just traded uh, moments after being drafted by the hometown team. <laughs> oh, you had the no, example right there. It was no, right there. It was no, right there. No. It was but right there. He, he really does, he, he looks kind of devastated. And the 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 longer this goes, I think it's it's very clear that I think San Antonio knows they're going to have to cut the cord. Now, the, the bigger issue is going to be if you make a deal for Kawhi, if you're Boston, if you're Philly, the, the Lakers aren't getting him. Okay, Let, let's they could, let's they can get him. Uh, you you do just kind of have to evaluate. Like, if you're the Sixers, how much do you want to give up for a guy that's potentially not going to sign an extension? And that that's the real crux of of everything. Okay, so yeah, I mean, and the, this 21, 21 pick is is an attractive asset to add it, in that. You're right, and it, it's probably taking us a little bit longer to get to that lead. Um, through some fault of my own here, um, that the the real benefit in this is is that 2021 pick. Whether they keep it, um, you know, which excites me less, despite the fact that it it's shaping up to be a great draft. For those who don't know, that could I guess potentially not officially yet. Is this right? It will be. Okay, uh, it will be the, the year the, that the NBA uh, allows not you know kids that go to high school. school allowing kids from high school, which means you will essentially get two high school classes. You'll get the previous years that is now graduating freshmen or or freshmen finishing their uh, freshman years of college college, and uh, a a new high school class. So you have two shots at landing a couple of prodigies uh, will be available in that draft. Now, that said, this this, isn't necessarily a top five pick, just to be clear, but it does project to be a a good... 
What's yeah. that? My, Miami's a, a weird kind of team, right? Yeah, no Even, one knows. No one knows. Yeah. That's that and that was the thing, honestly, that when when Process Twitter was so excited about the pick and they were saying like this is an absolute steal, well, it it could be. But Miami's a few free agent signings away in the next few off seasons or a a decent trade like they kind of made for Goran Dragic away from that not being an excellent pick. Now granted You're right. it's very, because it's, because of the because of the two freshman classes essentially. Um you're right. You'll, it's very you'll have difficult. A deeper draft pool, but you know, if it, it ends up being like the 17th pick in that draft, like it, maybe that would rank like where a top 10 pick would be in a, in a normal year. But you still don't know. You're still you're talking right. about raw it, raw high school prospects. It's very right. It, raw high school prospects and three years of NBA basketball. You have no idea how how good or bad the Heat are going to be. Probably not great, but yeah. Uh, and that's you know, so that's that is the crux of this. I'm less excited about the pick itself because, quite frankly. You know, we're we're year six now of this. The Sixers are ready to win. Like this was a this was a draft where they they could have got, and you know maybe they did, but you know they wanted to ostensibly get a guy who was going to help them early in the first round. They're they have a higher pick than they, they had a higher pick than their court uh, performance would dictate at number ten. And, you know, they kind of punted on that a little bit. Not a lot, a little bit. They punted back a little bit and to get something in the future. But I'm less excited about that pick. They have they have a chance over the, oh, they have a chance to win two championships before 2021. So I'm less excited about a pick than to keep the ball rolling and more about, hey, let's get those two championships. Um, well, let's be, let's but, be but, honest, though, Re- really quick. Like, let's be honest. If if they get what their number one target is, which is, is clearly Le- uh, LeBron James, Brett Brown even said in his uh, press conference that if the team needs to get up and go mobile and go out to Los Angeles to sit down with a player, a family, and an agent, they're ready to do it. It's very clear that they're going to go full on for LeBron James. And ultimately, Kyle, and and I, you know, you're obviously smart enough to know this. Anybody who listens is smart enough to know this. If you get LeBron James, it doesn't matter if you would have had Mikel Bridges or Zaire Smith. It does not matter. You're looking at somebody who's going to be here for probably two years, who's going to make you an immediate favorite in the East, an immediate favorite potentially to win the NBA championship. And then you still have that 2021 pick to go out and either acquire somebody that LeBron wants via trade or to go out and like, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be Kawhi this year. It could be, you know, a sign and trade for Clay at the end of the next season. It could be a lot of things. I mean, that is, I guess, the beauty of it being so far out. Yes. but let me... It doesn't have to be cashed in right now, especially if you're able to go out and lure one of the big superstars on the free agent market this year to the team. You are correct. And, but I would say, unlike the process era where, you know, kicking the can down a road and getting a better pick in the future and more optionality, where there was more of a clear path to one, we're not competing for anything right now. So let's just stack our chips as best as, as we possibly can and give us the most irons in the fire to pull out of. You know, I think that sort like grafting that sort of mentality onto the team now has you have to take a little bit of a different bend i agree with everything you just said it gives them flexibility ultimately if they get lebron it doesn't matter certainly if they use the pick to get a big time trade like Kawhi leonard if they don't get lebron or or even if they do like yeah definitely but you also don't know those things and i think during the process here you're a little bit more i'm a little bit more okay with not knowing things because quite frankly you have a lot less to lose and you're really just trying to give yourself as many picks as you possibly can to hit on guys like Embiid and Simmons. Think about how many missed opportunities they had in that time. And then, oh, by the way, think about another pick that you traded, the Sacramento pick last year, to go out and get Markel Fultz, 
Think about how that can also occasionally backfire. That's not a guarantee. This despite the fact, by the way, and I know you say Colangelo gave the pick away, no, almost no one was arguing against that trade last year. You know, this was the whole, what we were saying was, hey, this is the whole reason for the process. You get this optionality, then it comes time to identify a specific player with a specific need that you need at a specific time, and you go out and do it. And we were applauding it. No one actually could have predicted what happened with Fultz. So I don't actually blame Colangelo for that. But the point is, even then, when it's almost like a sure thing, and you have the consensus number one pick in the draft, and you could use your asset to go get him, it still doesn't always work out. So, But see, that, it, that hold in on. fairness, though, is the let difference me just, between trading an asset for an unknown commodity. You're right. Let me just finish. I'm about to get there. Please let okay. me finish the sentence. So I, I think now – they threw me off there. Um, you know, this, So what I'm saying is now you have this pick in 2021. Yes, you could use it for Kawhi. Yes, you could do all those things. We don't know, though, what exactly – that is for, or if you'll even be able to, you know, they're doing it. I feel like, I think this was a, a certainly a savvy move by Brett Brown, a cold move, but you know, there's also maybe a little bit of Twitter GM in that move because like, think about this, you know, logically, Hey, we, the guys we really want are free agents. You know, yeah, that extra million bucks they'll save will help, but I don't think that was going to be the, no one was talking about, oh, the Sixers can't pick a tank because it, it'll, it'll, they'll lose a million bucks and won't be able to figure out a way to crowbar LeBron James in there. No one was talking about that going into the draft, to be clear. It will help, yes. But the point is, you know, the guy you really want is a free agent. Um, you have a lot of money to go spend. Yes, it's great to have that other thing. If it turns into a trade, great. But you really don't know that. What you did know is that the guy you want is a free agent. And oh, by the way, here's a guy at 10 who fits our team. Here's perfectly perfectly I mean it's really is what you need and I'm not so sure I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Miguel Bridges is the guy who's going to deliver you an NBA championship I don't want to be taken out of context in that way but you said ultimately it's not going to matter if they have LeBron whether it's Zaire Smith or Mikel Bridges I'm not I wouldn't necessarily say that you know Zaire is three years younger he's much more of a project he's not a shooter you know he's an athletic defender type but now you have another guy potentially on offense who isn't a great shooter you know along with Ben's you know who has a I don't want to say not a similar a similar skill set to LeBron would be a very poor way of phrasing it but you have a guy who uh you know is not shoot first and now you could potentially have two or three of them on the court at once Mikel Bridges would have meshed very nicely with LeBron James on the court. I mean, that is a very complimentary skill set. At the end of the day, he's a more experienced and a longer and bigger defender. Don't discount two inches in height and width in the NBA. I mean, that at the swing position, that is a massive difference. Yeah, maybe you could say my point guard could be short. It doesn't matter. Swing player like that, you want him to be long and athletic. So I, I I hear what you're saying. I think it's great they have the pick. I really do hope they use it to trade and not just hang on to it for three years because I yeah, feel like they, that would be yeah, lost. That's what it is. That would be lost value in this in this time. But it you it it's why they did it. You say it's what it is. It it, it well, is I why they did it. And I Brett Brown admitted that. It's, it's but you do, that doesn't mean you're actually going to be able to use it. Well, that's it the point. Um, but no, that's, it doesn't. Again, but that's why I'm saying that. That's why it's good that it's so far out. Because okay, so let's let's kind of back up a little bit. You're right, but every, the time is now. The time is now to win. So no, it doesn't. I, I get that, but I'm what I'm saying is, again, if you're getting your marquee free agent, right? Let's let's say that they want and they they end up getting LeBron, right? It doesn't make as big of a difference. It's not as upsetting if you can't get Kawhi to pair with him, 
right? Like you are correct. Automatically, I, this is so, a, so this is what on, I was just well, trying to say. On, if you get wait. LeBron, hold on. If you get LeBron, you get LeBron. It would have been nicer to have Bridges because Bridges uh, an is NBA a good ready spot player. Could shoot yes, threes, I, right. I, okay. I totally understand that. But remember, there are going to be veteran players that are available in free agency that are going to fall over themselves to take the veteran minimum to play with LeBron James, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid, which is and still while, more and, than the rookie no, but, minimum. No, uh, maybe. Yes. You might, we might we might have to flesh that one out. Okay. But I'm uh, but I, I'm not I don't saying think the level exception. You're get I'm, a guy saying, who's I'm saying a straight up veteran minimum. Okay. You, you'd be able to get, get you'd be able to get some spot up shooters, um, just by virtue of of people doing ring chasing. So we can't discount that value. And again, the reason that I'm saying that it's so valuable that it's 2021. You know, if you're able to get LeBron and you know that he's going to be here one year, two years, whatever, you still every off season then have the ability at the draft to make a, another big deal to add another legitimate star to this team. I Look, every team talks, right? Teams talk to agents. Teams talk to uh, other front offices. I think that the Sixers, what this, this deal tells me is that the Sixers did their preliminary discussions with San Antonio or with other teams that they're interested. Maybe they're looking at DeMar DeRozan, which I think would be a terrible idea. Uh, maybe, maybe if they're they use for DeMar DeRozan, maybe, I'm out on the know, season, by the way. Yeah, I'm quitting the season. Uh, maybe they, they've called Portland and talked about C.J. McCollum, um, and they're trying to figure out what, what value those teams want to get for those somewhat proven commodities, right? But I do think that because of all the Spurs connections, we've talked about it before. Monty Williams served two two seasons as the vice president of basketball operations uh, with the Spurs. Brett Brown obviously has a long, a long track record of success with the Spurs as a coach. I think they've reached out and they they've kind of bannered back and forth what potential deals could look like. I still think that San Antonio really is hoping to reconcile, but I think it's becoming more and more apparent that they're not going to be able to. And I wouldn't be surprised if San Antonio had given Brett the idea that, like, look, if you don't want to include Fultz, then you need another pick. If you don't want to include this, then you're going to need to sweeten the pot with that. And ultimately, like, I think that's what we're looking at. I really am I'm having a hard time imagining that without a guaranteed extension being worked out, that Philadelphia, as much as they want Kawhi Leonard, uh, is going to want to part with Fultz. I just don't see that. And so I think that if, if you're drafting a kid, and I don't think it's a mistake that the seed was planted, that they think that Zaire Smith looks like and plays like Kawhi Leonard. I think if they're looking to make a deal, they they all they've done is help themselves. And again, I now if they if they strike out, this is I guess the bigger point, and maybe this is this is where you should really be hammering this. If the Sixers strike out on LeBron James, oh, on I was Paul going George, to, <laughs> on Kawhi Leonard in a trade, and now you're looking at going into a season with. I don't want to be rude about this, but kind of a waste of a first round pick in Zaire Smith when you could have had that proven commodity in Mikel Bridges. You were just stumping for him. Well, you can't call him a waste. Even I think that's unfair. I'm not, I wasn't I wasn't stumping, but I'm saying like he, Brett Brown said that he's going to have to fight for his minutes. This is not a guy who's being guaranteed anything in, the, so in, in, a in waste this, in this of a first pick season. This year for yeah, the, yeah, for the, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, let, yeah. Okay. That that was probably poor wording on my part. As much uh, as Zaire part. Smith is already coming in on my bad side, I don't I don't want to I don't think yeah. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is like, you didn't really add any major value for this season, maybe even for next season, to be honest, uh, in Zaire Smith, because he's going to be a project. And so if you miss out on all these stars as your star hunting, then you're going to look like an idiot. Like that is the thing that would absolutely break this. This is the the point where Phil, I think in our Slack chat would get even more obnoxious and and even more insufferable because that was the point I was just trying to make, by the way, was, you know, none of 
It's all, but I'm only saying that if they strike out, if they get LeBron, if they get Paul George, of if course. they make a trade for Kawhi, then this whole thing doesn't matter. And again, like then all the hurt feelings and all of the being upset about Mikel Bridges, you know, being drafted and then traded away, then all of that to me goes away. But if they don't do it, if they miss out on all these guys, it is, it's, it's bad. It's very, very bad. Right. And, and look again, that's, and that's exactly the point I was trying to make. You don't know if they will or they won't. The difference, you know, I think that mindset was okay for five years because you had nothing to lose and you needed to take those risks. Right now, you know, you're in a little bit more of a, you know, a, it's a fine line. Um, you know, you're already positioned for success and, you know, you, you just want to be careful about the way you use that and just kind of, you know, kick, not kick the can down the road, but just reach out for those assets here. I, I, I think, um, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, you said, okay, if it doesn't work out, right? If it just totally doesn't work out. I mean, there, there's a situation. The Suns, by the way, are going to be with Aiton and Josh Jackson and Mikel Bridges. I mean, that, that is going to be one athletic and fun and, team to and watch. And Devin Booker. Yeah. yeah, I mean they're they're gonna they're fitting right into the uh, like Suns mo there. By the way, um, I still you know, don't they, like Josh Jackson as a player, and I'm glad the Sixers didn't end up drafting him. Back to our uh, conversation from a year ago, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what what did you just say? I had a I had a something I wanted to follow up with about if they early. strike out on everybody. Yeah, I mean, it, like Brett, I uh, I don't I don't even remember what I was I don't even remember what I was going to say. I you know. You, you said something about Phil, um, you know, being I the said first Phil, to hammer Phil, on this. Phil and that crew will be insufferable if if you passed up on a sure thing like Bridges in an effort to go after stars, and then you miss out on all of them, and now you've got a project. You've started and, the show honestly, you, a role you have, player. Now he's a sure thing. We well, well, have me. you have a you have a project. Well, he's a sure thing probably as a as a role player, as a shooter, like <laughs> as a as a legitimate, reliable NBA player. Yeah, I don't. Mikel Bridges isn't, isn't going to be like a ten time All Star. I mean, come back to me if he does. But he he's gonna he'll he'll be like a, a really solid contributor. I you can be a role player and be a, a sure thing. Like think I kind of think he's like a uh, this might not be a good comparison. He's kind of like a Jason Tatum, like a poor a poor man's Jason Tatum. Like he'll be able to stretch the floor. He can handle he can handle well enough. I don't think he's gonna be somebody that we're gonna like beat ourselves up in 10, 15 years for passing up on. He's not Rodney Carney. This isn't the Tabo Cephalosha Rodney Carney deal of yesteryear. No, but I do but, think like, you could. I do think in a year or two from now, if he's having an incredible rookie or sophomore season and this doesn't work out and, you know, the Sixers wound up taking a guy who didn't, you know, contribute at all in the first couple of years, you know, yet again, by the way, um, you know, I think it, I think it will absolutely sting and will absolutely make Brett Brown look bad. And, and, you know, I, I think Mikael Bridges has a very wide range of possible NBA outcomes. I think he has a pretty low floor, but I also think he ha- he's not one of those, like, low floor, low ceiling guys. I think he has a very high ceiling. I mean, by the way, I'm not – I mean, if you go back to my Nova, um, you know, post from a few months ago, which most people probably don't want to, I actually had Bridges ranked as the third best NBA guy, not necessarily in this draft, but, like, long-term prospects. I still think Omari Spellman's got the most upside. He actually shot a higher percentage from three this year for Villanova than Bridges did. Um, he's, you know, he's bigger. He plays at least one position up. He's definitely a little bit more raw. But to me, like he's got the bo- he's got the body and the shot. 
he is he is baby Embiid, and again, that's not to say he's as freakish as Embiid, but he has a a baby Embiid type of skill set, which I think might translate better than. Pause, pause a second. I'm going to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, your your idea that Bridges is going to be you know potentially the third best. ESPN stats and info right after the Sixers drafted him uh, put out this tweet: Did the Sixers just draft another future All Star, Mikel Bridges? Despite picking 10th, they drafted the player with the second best chance of becoming an all-star, according to ESPN Sports Analytics. Marvin Bagley, the third, was first. Look, I'm not, again, I'm not going to sit here and argue against Bridges by any stretch. I was just, just from watching, again, mind you, I'm the guy who got shit on for calling Dante DiVincenzo a, an NBA player just two months ago in the second round of the tournament, and he went 17th overall. So, you know, if there's one thing I do spend a lot of time really watching it's Villanova I do think over the course of their career I would you know Spellman's more of a risk for sure and I'm not saying he has as good of a chance but I think he, he potentially has a, a higher ceiling I think Dante DiVincenzo's game translates excellently to the NBA Bridges in the tournament to me got exposed a little bit in some regards he does mm-hmm. need to put on a lot of weight he struggles to create his own shot. And we saw this as he started getting keyed on. That's really kind of what allowed, uh, you know, freed up Dante. They had the one game where uh, uh, where Pascal went off. You know, Bridges was, was focused on. He wound up putting up a lot of points in the championship game, but they came late. Um, I don't think he's a sure thing by any stretch. I think he, he definitely needs to put on some weight. I think at times he... Timid is the wrong word, but he can get bodied around and does struggle to create off the dribble. Absolutely. He's more of a spot up shooter. And for a long guy, uh, you know, you'd like that skill set to be a little bit more proactive, I'd say. That said, once he gets a step on somebody, he can he can fly right to the cup and he's an excellent defender. But, you know, I'm not like sitting here saying he's a sure thing by any stretch, but I do think he's he's certainly NBA ready, if nothing else, from a shooting and defense standpoint. Um, I think he's smarter. I think he's longer. And um, I think he has can be a more certainly a more consistent shooter than Robert Covington. Um, you know, that said, I think some of the other Nova guys have a it's it's crazy to me, the national player of the year. And I'm not disagreeing with where he went. Uh there were three guys on his team taken ahead of him. That's wild. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened before, right? Um, anyway, but yeah, like, I I just, I don't know. I, I'm just concerned that, hey, here's a guy who's NBA ready, ready to help your team now, and we're just not sure where it's going to where it's gonna go. So th- this definitely has to bear itself out, I think, is the is the way to put the bow on it. Um, it's, it's unfinished until we see how this offseason plays out. Yeah. If you're rolling into a season next year with a – a minimally changed starting lineup. If Reddick comes back at a decent cap hit, you haven't acquired any stars. And now Zaire Smith, a year after you took a guy that you thought was going to be the the real legitimate final piece of this puzzle, ended up becoming a, um, a an anomaly, a, a bit of an albatross, a, a guy that you spent an entire year shielding from the media, working with shooting coaches, all that jazz. A year after that kind of debacle, if you walk into this season after having a top 10 pick that, by the way, was the uh, the manifestation of the, the hinky trade for that Lakers pick, um, man, if, if all you got for that is a guy who's no better than Michael Carter-Williams, then it, it becomes even more difficult to kind of defend this trade. But in the meantime, uh, we, you know, we have to be objective about this, and we also have to be you know, smart enough to realize that it it would appear that the Sixers are working on a much bigger plan. But now, 
you know, it really is about making that trade. Uh, it's about getting out on the plane, going mobile, as, as Brett Brown said, and going out to meet Stop. with players and agents and families. Like, that, that's where we're at. Well, Brett, I, if there's nothing else, Brett Brown will be excellent in that room. Um, I can't imagine sure. there's going to be a better NBA coach walking into your uh, into your establishment um, to seal the deal. Um, Look, people are fickle, right? Like right after it happened, everybody was was upset. Everybody seemed pretty devastated by it. The immediate process Twitter was excited about the future prospect. A lot of casual fans were upset, and I and still are. But it took one Brett Brown press conference for the media to change their tune almost immediately. And for a lot of fans on Twitter to change their mind. I mean, remember, the, the one thing that came out after Brett left that, that podium was it was refreshingly honest. It wasn't any GM speak. And maybe that's the one positive of not having a GM in this situation is you didn't get the typical Brian Colangelo double talk. You didn't get the Sam Hinky not wanting to tip his hand kind of like uh, non-answers. You got... A legitimate insight into that Sixers collective that was making all the decisions on draft night, and ultimately you got. Uh, I I feel like I walked away from that with a better idea of it was a a much more painful decision that they had to make and that Brett Brown had to make than you know it it might be presented as just like the cold NBA business. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that he felt badly about it. I'm sure we'll have a very awkward conversation with uh, Mikhail's mother in about an hour from now. Um, I would say it's great as a for the media and as fans to hear him talk because he is so incredibly honest. Th- that said, there is a reason why sports executives, all executives, are a little bit more measured in what they say publicly because there is sometimes a competitive advantage to not tipping your hand. Now, I don't think... Um, it's any real shocker the Sixers are going to try and make a trade or sign a big-time free agent, so I'm not sure it matters in this case. But, you know, I agree that it's it's great to see, but let's just keep in mind that there's often there's often a strategic advantage to not letting people know exactly what it is that you want to do. Um, think about if you're the Spurs now. Brett Brown has essentially come out and said, we've, you know, we kind of got this pick to trade it, right? I know he has a great relationship with them which, you know, as we've seen, doesn't mean much in sports. Um, you know, now you got a little bit on, on Brett Brown because he's going to look poorly if they're unable to do anything with this pick over the next 18 to 24 months. And if you're another team, you know that you got him over the barrel a little bit and he's got a little bit of pressure to make something happen with it. Um, if yes a new GM no. comes in, maybe that changes the situation. Who knows? Um, I'd say this about the whole mother family thing. You're right. That is not a way to judge the trade. It is a business. Trades happen on draft night. All of that being said, and as much as it sucked, like I get that from hearing Brown, um, you know, this was kind of an option that came to them. Although there was a report out there that said the Suns were ready to draft DiVincenzo and then the Sixers called with this trade. So it's unclear. I think Brett Brown kind of made it, said this trade came to them. So that part is kind of unclear. Yeah, um, I mean, he said that they had been pursued heavily by Phoenix. I think that the yeah, DiVincenzo who, who called thing, who might just be an issue well, of semantics. But I, th- I think it, I, I think the way that I, I read that is that Phoenix had pursued Philly for a while about making this trade and, and had been shunned away. And then at the last minute, you know, they... They threw the offer on the table for that 2021 pick. Yeah. Uh, they had their contingency in line, which was to draft DiVincenzo. And, and the Sixers, yes, eventually were the ones who said, yeah, we'll take that pick. 
Yeah. So I, I get that, you know, that happens quickly and you got to make that decision. All of that being said, <clears throat> his mom is not a hot dog vendor for the team. She is the, uh, I checked her LinkedIn last night, the Harris Blitzer Corp global, um, and that global is a fancy word, but she is the Harris Blitzer Corp uh, v- VP of HR, which includes the Sixers, Devils, whatever his uh, Crystal Palace, the, the Blue Coats, think, yeah. the esports team. Um, presumably she works out of the Sixers practice facility. You know, all of the Philly based people I believe do. Um, if you thought there was any possibility of this happening and obviously calls had been, had been made at some point, I feel like maybe you owe it to the woman a day or two ahead of time to say, Hey, we might take your son. If we do, just don't get too high just in case a draft day trade happens. Like, I, I, we don't, but Kyle, we don't know for sure that that wasn't said. And in fairness to, I don't I, think I don't, she I don't does like, the ESPN like, interview if that's the case. I'm, I'm not I so mean, she sure was because cr- almost the narrative, crying on national TV. Yeah, but remember, Kyle, like the, the narrative as soon as he was drafted, that was one of the first things that ESPN said. Like, that's, that's them doing their due diligence and knowing what Bridges' mom means to the organization and the fact that she works for the team. And and she wasn't, by the way, she wasn't the only parent who went up um, as as part of the the interview. I'm right, trying to think of the. Kid. I guess what I'm I, saying I can't is the kid's name, but I didn't but, detect. You know, you could usually tell when a player sometimes because the trades are announced ahead of time before they're finalized. But you know, there are other times where it's kind of like you know, there's a nudge that hey, this pick could be traded. Um, I did not detect one ounce of hesitation on the parts of Bridget, Bridges, his mom, Jay Wright, um, even the Sixers Twitter that this. So, yeah, like maybe this just totally fell in their lap out of the blue and they had a split second decision to make. But you had to have been you had to have been aware that this was a possibility uh, if there was that much interest in Bridges. And I'm just I'm just kind of I'm just kind of stunned. For, I'm just kind of stunned, and I don't know what go, what went on over there, but I am a little bit stunned that um, you know there wasn't like a little bit more restraint on their part that you know someone well, had maybe said to them, "Hey, just so you know, this could happen, so don't you know, don't be shocked." Like I, I just feel like go back. I'm surprised go, go that sort really of quick, thing though. wasn't the, planned. The interview, in there. the interview that he did with ESPN, right? I remember thinking in the immediate aftermath that I was kind of surprised that he didn't say more. And maybe maybe it's just like the emotions hitting you and it's the thrill of like being on your hometown team. And that could very easily explain all of it. He's but quiet. I would have thought he, he that, was gushing but, about but, it in the press okay. conference, because what I would have thought would have been, man, you know, I've been watching this team all year. Uh, I'm so excited to play with Ben and Joel and I know that I can slot in and like there's certain things that I would have expected him to say as as somebody that was local and somebody that would have been excited to play for their hometown team and it might have just been the emotion of the moment maybe he's a more introverted kid I don't know um, they're, they're also in in fairness like I I, I would be re- uh, I think that there's a part of this for the mom at least I think she knows the business of basketball, and I think what she expected or would have expected is maybe they had that conversation with her about, hey, you know, the the pick might not end up being our pick. Um, yeah, but see, I, think I don't she think they expected, did. But I, th- I, I think, think she no, I think they did, but I think, I, think, I think that she expected, or maybe what their expectation to her was, is that if we get on the clock at 10 and we end up drafting whomever, that's going to be our pick. We we might make a trade, but we would make the trade before we're on the clock. Like I th- I think that that might be the way that they went about it with her, to explain that like look you know if 
if number eight is currently being drafted and you see a trade go down, like, yeah, it's possible that we're going to trade out of 10. We might trade back to 15, 16. Mikel's not going to be there. You know, we know this for sure. Um, but it's it's also not their responsibility, as, as awful and as cold as it might seem, it's not their responsibility to tip down to her that, hey, Mikel might get traded. Because in fairness, the timeline that they broke down does not make it sound like this Phoenix offer was there when they drafted at number 10. It seemed like it was it was contingent on them drafting Bridges. And if they had drafted Zaire Smith there, you're obviously not making this deal with Phoenix. I think this is something where like legitimately the team might have had some conversations going with Phoenix at some point. They rebuked them. They, they pushed them away because the offer wasn't good enough. They drafted Bridges. They fielded multiple phone calls from multiple teams, apparently, who were interested in Mikel. And ultimately, like, it, it sucks. The optics of it are terrible. But if you're in that room and you know what the specific timeline was and you hear in Brett Brown's voice that it was a painful decision to make because they really liked Mikel. By the way, talking about Bridges in the uh, the press conference afterwards is borderline tampering. Uh, they might end up getting a fine for that. I think the fact that he was so open and honest Wait, about it kind of... You, you can't talk about other teams' players once they've been drafted. I mean, it, it's they're now associated with a, an NBA franchise. So you can't go in necessarily and say, hey, you know, we really liked... He he also mentioned Michael Porter. And at, at least from my experience in these post, um, post-draft post press conferences, you were not supposed to talk about other players. Once they are... Maybe it's be, maybe there's a little bit of gray area because they're not technically signed yet. But once you become the, you know, essentially the property of an NBA team, uh, you are not supposed to talk about them openly. That that still is uh, is grounds for tampering. Wait, I don't know if so you're fired, not allowed but. to say... Like, I mean, I'm in saying, your I'm scenario, not, you're you're not allowed to play the Celtics and say, "Wow, you know that Jason Tatum's a really great player." He's, I'm I'm not sure where you're getting. At. No, I think I think that's a little bit different. Like when when you are throwing out the idea that you really liked, uh, uh, I I don't know a, a good way to put this. But you had drafted I, I don't him. Know. I think if that might change yeah. things. I mean, <laughs> you that's actually what I'm saying. I, I think there's him. there's some great. I I don't know. Maybe I, I could just be totally wrong about it. Maybe I am. It's entirely possible. It wouldn't be the first time I've been wrong. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, look, I, I don't, I get that it, it's a situation. I think that's going to be a, a, I don't know. It, it did not, it did not look good. Regardless of what happened, it was a bad look. It was a bad it's look. It's a bad look, but, but if they're honest about it, it was a bad look in real if time. If they're being honest about it and the timeline is the way that they described it, there's nothing they could have done. They couldn't have alerted Mikel's mom. They couldn't have said, hey, there's a, a trade on the table that we're going to execute because it sounds like it didn't come. They didn't get the the offer with the first round pick until well after he had been drafted. There's not a lot they can I'm do. I'm surprised optics, his agent. The optics suck. It, it just kind of is I'm surprised his agent didn't give him the old the old Andy Card moment. Do you know the Andy Card moment? No. The uh, My pet goat walks over, whispers in the ear? Nope. You, really? Do you, do you not no know your history? I have no idea. Are what you serious? I'm How old serious are you? 27 you don't know you don't know the andy card whispers in the ear during my pet goat you don't even know what that refers to what are you talking i know when president bush was alerted about 9 11 he was oh reading, oh, oh gotcha yeah he yeah. was reading while he, my was, pet while goat. he was with uh when he was in with the school and his oh, chief sad. of staff came over and whispered in his ear and then you could see his face go ashen i'm surprised 
that Bridges' agent, although I guess I can understand why, while he was doing his press conference, didn't go the Andy Card moment and inform yeah. him. But I guess you don't want to put the kid through that while there's cameras on him. Uh, you want to yeah. tell him in private, let him sob, and then put the Suns hat on him and make him go out and smile. Uh, yeah. What about the second pick? <laughs> I can't even pronounce we, the guy's we, name. But he really, sounds like a really good shooter. So Shamet. Shamet, Shamet. He's um he's a guy that, that wasn't supposed to be God was, Shamet. Sure. Shamet. Uh he's he's a guy that's uh most people didn't have as a first round value, which I come back around to. Then why did you draft him? Why? Oh my god. We've got one guy who got drafted at 10 who is going to have to, quote, fight for his minutes, unquote. And now we've got a guy who not many people had rated as a first-round talent. Sweet mother of mothers. Um, in, the, in the second round, they drafted uh, that kid Kyrie who was, like, really good, who looked like a stud prospect, and then they traded him, too. So they picked up some second-round picks. Um, I'm trying to think who uh, – the, the guy that they drafted uh, with number 54 – whose name now escapes i don't care i care about chapman he's a first round pick he could shoot i don't know i don't know anything about him except that apparently he's a very good shooter he's he's apparently an okay shooter very good shooter but he was taken at a spot that was much higher than what his value was by the way um because i i don't want to talk about him because i don't think he's going to be anything um there there was an interesting thing that was brought up and i saw it uh just a couple minutes ago the idea that this this trade, as much as you may hate it, or people I don't may hate, hate it, it, I hate it is it is it. clearly it is clearly um, it was clearly done in a way to uh, to acquire that unprotected first round pick specifically to make a trade. Because if the Sixers had really wanted to, they could have drafted Bridges at ten, and they could have gotten creative and and gotten up from twenty six to be able to draft Zaire Smith. They could have ended up with Bridges and Smith if they were really that enamored with both. Could have Smith ended up was with Bridges not, and Dante. Which would have been awesome. Yeah, I mean they could have. So um, that I think that's like maybe one of the underreported parts of this is if they were really that enamored with one A and one B, as as Brett put it, um, they could have just as easily tra- traded up from twenty six. Michael Porter was in free fall. There were other guys that I think teams were more enamored with. I think most teams would have taken Dante Divincenzo over Zaire Smith. Um, Speaking of enamored, they how about traded up if they really wanted to. Oh, the Woj stuff was incredible. Is he laser tr- focused? In trouble on. today? Yes. Yes, he is, and you know what he's gonna say, Kyle? He's gonna say, "I'm Woj." You know, like, I mean, honestly, the the NBA is gonna be so upset they're gonna find ESPN, and it won't matter because he's still the best in the business. There's well, only so much you can do. I'm at like, so what? So if if, if anyone is not aware, uh, Woj, ESPN, and the NBA Network had, I guess, a mandate to not and TNT. What's that? It was like any. It was it, it was, was on TNT, TNT as well. As well. No, it wasn't. But their people were also banned. It was pretty much anybody who has the rights to the NBA in any, in, yeah, in any way, shape, or form. So like David Aldridge wasn't allowed to say selected. Don't worry, None I'm sure David insiders. Aldridge would have only broken about one pick. Oh, okay, well, I don't think he. Uh, I, he's dead to me even, since his even Roy Johns. Halliday post game interview after the no hitter. I thought he like zapped the fun out of that moment. It was so awkward. Um, <laughs> I think Shams was actually barred from it too. Yahoo's uh, the vertical uh, insider was also not supposed to. I yeah, think how he, though? He what does was... he have to do with anything? Like, yeah, I don't know. I'll, well, I'll, I'll I'll pull the article, but go ahead. It was his tweet, the by the way. I saw the, incredible. the Bridges trade, and I saw the check mark, and I was like, "Hold on!" Before I retweet this, I'm going to check that this is real. This can't possibly. Yep. They could not possibly have just done this. And yeah, yep. it was real. Um, 
So, Wo- yeah, Woj was not supposed to be tipping picks because uh, he scoops everybody. So he was using very uh, covert language. By the way, he was on air at the ESPN, but he was using very co- covert language saying so-and-so lasers in on, so-and-so is enamored with, so- such-and-such team pl- is targeting heavily. Everything he could say on. other than the uh, focused on. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Hold, hold on. I'm, I have him right here. Is determined. Phoenix is determined to select Zaire Smith. Um, the Spurs are fixated on Lonnie Walker. Atlanta has zeroed in on Maryland's Kevin Huerter. Uh, oh, God. What was another one? Uh, the Bulls are on Boise State's Hutchinson. Uh, Pacers are focused on Aaron Holiday. Portland has a laser on Anthony Simmons. The Lakers are unlikely to resist Mo Wagner. The Sixers are enamored with Landry Shamit. Boston is tantalized by Robert Williams. The Warriors are locked on Jacob Jacob Evans. Uh, you know, on one hand, I think it's this so is funny. It's awesome. awesome. I think it's awesome and good for him for being like, you know what? I'm I'm a reporter. This is what I do. I'm really good at it. I'm not going to not do what ESPN has paid me to do just because this is something we're broadcasting and the league doesn't want. My job is covering the league, and this is a classic case of the um, partnerships between leagues and networks getting in the way of of actual reporting. Does it really matter if it's tipped three minutes earlier in either direction? No, probably not, and this isn't like, you know, this isn't Watergate by any stretch. That being said, ESPN is paying him a lot of money. Um, I do think, you know, events like this, especially in modern times, are are must watch live events. And, um, you know, there are fewer and fewer sort of TV ratings, automatic wins um, and events like this remain to be the case. And you're working for an employer who's paying you a lot of money. And part of the deal is, hey, on this night, this is a big event for us and for our, our partners. We want to, you know, we want to do the event in a certain way. We ask that you not do this. The the business side of me um, thinks that was uh, maybe not childish, but um, you know, like a, a little bit of an affront to your employer. I, you know, you got a contract; they're not going to let you go. You didn't technically do anything against it, you know, and you're really good at what you do. And ultimately, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal, but you know. Maybe play ball with your employer on this one. It's really not, you know, so you could be cute and get get all the praise out of it. Like, I would be willing to bet that Adam Silver, not that you have to make Adam Silver happy. It's your job to cover the league, not make Adam Silver happy. But you do work for ESPN. Uh, So I'd be interesting to see how those conversations play out today. Or if the folks at ESPN knew he was going to do it and said, you know what? We hired you to do this. The league doesn't want you to say they're going to make the pick. So you can... Tweet whatever you want as long as you don't say exactly who's going to be picked. You know, maybe his boss told him to do that. Who knows? Um, yep. Um, there's a uh, – coming back to Shamit because you were uh, interested with him. So one thing about Shamit, other than the fact that I think they reached for him in the first round, is the fact that I, I think this spells the end um, potentially for some of the other point guards on the roster. I think TJ is going to be safe, obviously. Um I think it gives them a, a little bit of cover if they end up making a trade and they have to include Fultz. Shaman is obviously not going to be near the uh, the ceiling that Fultz has, but potentially as as a point guard or maybe as a, a, a guard in general, um, that'll be something. He could also just kind of fill the role of Jared Bayless. One of the interesting things that, that came out of the Sixers making the trade down was the $1.7 million that they saved against the cap. Um, it now frees them up where they don't necessarily have to make 
a, a big trade of like, say, a Covington in order to free up the $35 million max they would need for LeBron James, they could just as easily um, use the stretch provision on Bayless, cut or um, waive Rashawn Holmes. I think his deal doesn't uh, officially kick in. They picked up his uh, option for next year. That's like another 1.5 or 1.6, I think, that they would clear. They, they've, by virtue of that trade down, in a sense, they uh, gave themselves a little bit more flexibility in, in a way to kind of free up that max cap space. Um, their second-round pick that they took, Milton, from SMU, is an interesting guy because he's uh, he's got a 7-foot wingspan. He's 6'6", six, 7-foot six, wingspan, uh, apparently can can shoot at least somewhat well um, and looks like a pretty versatile player. So that'll be interesting. Um, but again, he's another point guard. So when you draft X amount of point guards, obviously second round picks don't necessarily contribute immediately to teams. They often find themselves, you know, playing for the D league affiliate or the G league affiliate, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know where he'll be. I don't know if he'll be on this roster. It also kind of, I guess, to some extent, maybe means that they're not willing to uh, continue the experiment with TLC. I don't think they're going to give up on Korkmaz after a year, but this kind of tells me that by drafting the position that they did, they're not exactly thrilled with the end of their bench, and those guys might become expendable in other trades as well. That's where um, I'm at. A little bit of surprise. So is Shamit definitely a point guard, or is he sort of like a combo? Because he's not listed on he played, point guard he, prospects. He played point, but okay. apparently he could contribute as an off-ball guard. I mean, they... Any guard that the Sixers were going to take, in theory, if they were hoping to play them at any point with Fultz and or Simmons, they're going to have to be able to handle. So drafting a point guard isn't the worst thing if they can shoot. Um, any surprise yeah, then both, that both of these guys? Any surprise then that they off. wouldn't have taken, uh, you know, Brunson there? I know it hurts to hear this for you, but I don't think Jalen Brunson's going to be much in the league. I think he's going to be okay. I don't, by the uh, way, I don't this, disagree this league, with you. I'm... This league hates uh, upperclassmen coming into the draft. Sure. Um, just in, in general. And he's not, he's not an athletic guy. He's, he's like James Harden without a lot of the skill. And I mean that in a nice way. Like he was a good college player. He was a, a very good college player. And maybe he ends up kind of piecing it together. Maybe he becomes like, um, not a six man of the year candidate, but like maybe he ends up becoming like a second, third guy off the bench can come in, get you points, can be a, a reliable backup point guard. And if that's what you get as a second round pick again, like that's, that's good value at, at 33. Um, but he's, he's certainly not a guy that should have been a first round pick. And honestly, to some extent, I was, I was a little bit surprised that he was taken where he was. I, I thought he was going to end up being a middle of the second round pick just because he's older. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, he was a lot of boards had him in the top 30, certainly. Um, Look, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here. I'm not sitting here and necessarily arguing for his NBA upside because I, I don't think it's that great. Um, you know, I will say there's uh, Jameer Nelson had a little bit more of a better pro projection, probably a little bit more athletic than Brunson. Um, but you know, Nelson fell and, and wound up having a pretty decent pro career. I, you know, I don't know if you're taking a guard late in the first round like that. You know someone who could handle the ball, there's definitely a case to be made for Brunson. It's not like the guy you were taking like, is like a slam dunk NBA star type of player. You know, both guys certainly have drawbacks. Um, you know, just kind of a little bit surprising. I will say this about Brunson. I have always thought he's he would not make a good pro um, because he's a little bit undersized. He's not as crazy athletic. Um, 
you know, he's a really good shooter, but he's not like a dead eye NBA three point shooter type of player. That said, he is incredibly highly skilled, like incredibly highly skilled. And also from a, you know, maturity standpoint, like you'll, you'll, I don't think you'll, Jay Billis was like ready to, you know, give him a reach around live on the air last night. Um, he's, I think he could wind up actually being a pretty good pro. He feels like one of those guys that just continuously gets knocked as, you know, not being athletic enough, not being athletic enough, and yet just has such an, in, an insane level of skill and tools at his disposal that he could do a number of things really well. And if he could do, figure out a way to do one or two of them really well at the NBA level, he could wind up being uh, the starting guard in the league. Not a star, not an all-star, but, um, you know, late in the first round like that, if you were going after a guard, I, I'm not, I don't think it's being Villanova or Homer to say that you would have had to consider Brunson. Like, he was certainly one of the two or three guys who, who would have been in the mix there. So, just, it's just, it's just crazy because, um, I'm not, I'm not arguing against the pick. I'm just, it's just crazy when you have a national player of the year and then you get guys that are like totally reached for over them. Um, not saying that's the wrong thing. It's just it's just wild how different college he's, prospects he's and NBA his, prospects he's are. He's pretty much at his ceiling right now, right? Like I, I don't think he has a high ceiling. He has a higher floor than a lot of second round picks, but his his ceiling is probably about what he is right now. Again, this kind of comes back to a conversation that you and I had a long while back about like what the NBA values in terms of the draft, and they often value higher upside or what they they view to be higher upside of freshmen or even sophomore players over established players that were juniors or seniors again like I think that's part of why the Sixers felt confident enough in trading away Mikel Bridges knowing that you know Zaire Smith is three years younger and even though he won't make the immediate impact they believe I guess that over the next two three years they're going to be able to develop him into a player that is either as good or superior or at least on level with what Mikel Bridges is now and that's that's the philosophy of the league it doesn't mean that it's right it could very well be wrong um, and I think in a lot of ways, we've seen that kind of pan out uh, or play itself out over the last, I don't know, let, let's say seven, eight years. You know, they got rid of the one and done, but teams are still often enamored with freshmen, even if they haven't hit what would be an acceptable first round value just by virtue of, of what their skills are. They, they draft raw players. They draft athletic players that can't shoot. Josh Jackson comes to mind um, with the thought that they're going to be able to develop them. And whether or not they can is totally dependent on the team, the coaches, and the front office if they made a good enough character evaluation of the guy. So, Well, yeah, and it's kind of, uh, you know, there's a symbiotic relationship there in that if you get to be an upperclassman and get really good and haven't gone pro, you know, there's probably some skills, you know, some skill set or athleticism that you you know, are lacking that you haven't gone. So it would make sense that, yeah, the younger guys, even though they're not quite as polished, like there is something that just jumps out at you so much where it's like, okay, we, we got to take that guy because whatever. So I, I get, I get all of this. I'm not arguing against it. It's more just an observation that like, wow, it's, it's, it's wild how, you know, the, you know, a guy who wins every award in college basketball, you know, is almost an afterthought and almost like, um, you know, gets you accused of being a homer for even bringing up his name when you took a guard late in the first round. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of crazy how that works out. But um, we'll see how it goes. Um, interesting, uh, interesting night. Well, Kyle, remember, sure. like, it was back in 04, Jameer Nelson was co-player of the year. He fell to number 20. I would say that Jameer Nelson... That's what I'm saying. If, like, if, if we compare Jameer Nelson to Jalen Brunson, Jameer Nelson, I think, was had a higher ceiling. Than Jalen uh, Brunson or than Brunson did. Yeah, that's what I said. Um, and but he and he, I mean, he felt he felt twenty. So I like I, I do think that 
you know, for as as much of a bummer as it might be for as as important as it is to win, you know, X amount of awards or to win national championships was certainly he had over Nelson. You know, it, it we've, we've just seen it play out for so long that none of it's surprising. Um, it really does kind of come down to what the team's looking for. And, you know, ultimately, like, I, I don't I know. I actually Brunson say he's more be, skilled oh, than Nelson. I'd say Nelson had more NBA um Maybe more Nelson NBA was more skill athletic. Set. I think Brunson has a, a bigger tool set uh, to work with. That's yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but look what Jameer Nelson's done with his career. I mean, here we are, 14 years later, and he's still, con- excuse me, he's still contributing to NBA teams. Is so, he? Yeah. Yeah. Where? Uh, I don't know. Let me look. I thought he was. At, I thought he was done. I thought he was still on a team last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean it, the Pistons. What or no? Point uh, stands. He had on. pretty, pretty adequate NBA career. Oh, yeah, hold on, that? before we go, let me let me just the look Pistons. this up really quick. It's on the Pistons. I don't want to be wrong. It, he was, How many teams yeah, he right? played for? A lot. <laughs> uh, all right, Jameer Nelson's NBA career. Orlando from uh, draft until 2013-14. Yeah, then years. Dallas, Boston, Denver for three years. Uh, is that Toronto? No. New Orleans, Detroit. Is that Toronto? New no. Orleans and then Detroit. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a total, not not Toronto. He went wow. from Denver to the Pelicans to Detroit. Still contributing 14 years in the NBA. So nice. There you go. Interesting. Yeah. Never right. got that. Hey, title. this ended up being a whole lot less combative and a whole lot less hurt feeling than it than it started. So I'm a reasonable we'll guy, Russ. I'm a reasonable. If guy. the Sixers, uh, if the Sixers trade for Kawhi and they use that 2021 first round pick, are you going to be okay with them not having Mikel Bridges? Will uh, that be okay with you? Yeah. The you know. I remember what I was going to say earlier, and not to extend this longer. Yet, I'm all uh, quasi in on Kawhi. I think there's a little bit of a of a uh, head case thing potentially going on there. Um, but I would I would be disappointed, and I don't think they're doing this because he talked about whatever making a pitch to a player's family. I'd be disappointed if they like went first for Kawhi and then you know, that took their eye off the ball on LeBron. I don't think that would be the case, but I would yeah, be, you know, I, I don't that, want it to be where, Kawhi or LeBron and then you choose Kawhi. And it's like, all right, we got Kawhi. We don't need LeBron. Like, I can't imagine anyone would actually think that, but like LeBron's got to be like a flexibility, one, a cap B flexibility here, wise, right? cap flexibility wise. I could make the case that Kawhi, Fuck your cap, stop it. it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Right. I'm just saying that yes and no. I, if they, if they get Kawhi and they, they miss LeBron because LeBron decides to go build a super team out in LA with Paul George, but you're able to lock Kawhi in long term. That's good, and it costs you against the cap half of what it would have cost for LeBron. That means you could bring back JJ. Um, it means that you can probably bring back the other guys that you want for on one year deals, and then next season, if Clay Thompson does hit free agency, if some of these other guys that are projected to potentially hit free agency do, um, I don't know. You might be able to to get a team in that uh, is locked in long term. I don't want to get into the LeBron thing again. But LeBron is the easiest way. Yes. I mean, LeBron is the easiest way to make yourself an immediate contender without having to give away any of your assets. Look, every every team um, in GM looks for a sure thing in sports. There is nothing more, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, what's his face? Uh, The night of the prom in American pie. He's a sure thing. Like you've, there's, there's no doubt about it. Speaking of uh, the Sixers and people who interview them, we didn't actually talk about anybody who interviews them, but uh, Molly Sullivan, we haven't been on a show since uh, she got canned by NBC Sports Philadelphia. Cold she followed me back season. on. She followed me on Twitter yesterday. Oh, I wasn't even following her. Back. She followed me. That was that was very nice. So I followed her back, and um, she was just on WIP Morning Show. Um, she said, "I was shocked 
It's been humbling from everyone that's reached out, best fans in the world. Uh, Richard Deitch, who was formerly of what SI is now for The Athletic, uh, talking about media, uh, tweeted at you about uh, Molly Sullivan is going to be a guest on his upcoming podcast. So that, I guess, will be a, uh, a thing to listen to, and maybe we'll do a write-up on the site for. Um, Molly Sullivan, I think, was a, a somewhat popular figure in this, had good chemistry on air with Mark Zumoff and Ella Abdanabi, and uh, it certainly seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, I don't know if you're going to go TMZ on this, or uh, do you have any inside info on uh, on Molly and what happened? No, I really don't. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a little surprising. If I'm Greg Murphy, I guess I'm watching over my back. <laughs> Because if if Comcast, you know, Comcast in this aggressive cost cutting thing, I am not clear, and I will try and find this out exactly who the paychecks for Molly came from. She is listed on the Sixers org chart. Um, I know there's a weird relationship a lot of times with you know team announcers and whether they're employed by the team or Comcast. I know a few years ago, at least with the Phillies broadcast and injecting money into that, Comcast uh, got a say on that third person in the booth and this is why our second person i guess this is why wheels was gone that was a comcast decision this is why they brought in uh, relatively safe generic guys like uh ben davis and john cruck i really don't like cruck on the air i just don't um uh, I, I don't even want to get started on the the most recent phillies telecast but yeah. the uh I mean, everyone loves Crock for who he was. Tots and, and hot dogs. Uh, and everyone God loves. Forbid we, God forbid we talk about the game. Yeah, I have less problem with like that, but I, the notion of Crock is better than Crock himself. Everyone thinks, oh, the macho row guy. You know what? Like his. I actually enjoy him. His West West Virginia draw bothers me. Um, just Dunkle as Kincaid. it's like a listening thing, as does Tom McCarthy's voice. Although McCarthy has grown on me just a little bit. Um, I feel like Crock is. It's not that good. Like he, he doesn't seem that particularly well prepared. He's like I've heard enough of the '93 stories and the John, like the meme of John Crock is is wearing on me. Um, Would you rather John Crock or Sarge? I like Sarge was like a character. No. Yes, I, I would take Sarge. Ten, take, I would take Wheels and no. Sarge. To be honest with you, I actually I take, miss Chris Wheeler. I actually, yeah, I I can't believe I'm going to say me this. Me too. 2008, 2008 me is like ready to punch me in the I head, know. but like. Yeah, I, I kind of miss Chris Wheeler. We, you know, here's but the thing I, about I would Wheeler. Take, I would take Cruck over Sarge and getting in the Cadillac. See, that was uh, cool. And then the Phillies, no, it wasn't. The Phillies was stopped him from saying it because they get, weren't an we're official get sponsor. In the Cadillac here, Tom. Yeah, it like, was no. fun. It was fun, and because they weren't a f- the the sponsor, and the Phillies and Major League Baseball hate fun, uh, they stopped it. Um, I, that's look, why yeah, that happened. Um, what's that? Yeah, Wait, he was, that, he was told that's why Cadillac, Cadillac is not a, time? Cadillac Are you is not, serious? No, Cadillac is not a sponsor. Oh you can't God. say that anymore. That's as the story goes. I, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, yeah, Wheels, though he was annoying, he really knew the game. And when you would listen to him, you would usually learn something or think about something that you wouldn't otherwise. Um, Cruck, I don't know. So, oh, anyway, so Greg Murphy, I don't know. I know I'm sure he's a Comcast employee. Um, it sounds like they at least made the decision on the part of Molly um, whether or not the Sixers actually cut her paychecks or not. It sounds like it was a Comcast thing, I'm guessing, and that feels like a Comcast cost-cutting move. Do we really need to pay someone whatever? I'm, I'm, I would imagine it was at least you know six hundred thousand dollars a year to do that job. Could we save that money? Jessica Camarado, who works for us, is already traveling with the team. Do we pay her an extra fifteen thousand dollars a year to? 
do those, you know, two or three hits throughout the what game. What did she bring to the telecast? Uh, nothing. Oh, but this is Comcast's way of thinking. Hey, two birds with one stone here. She's already there. She's fine on camera. Like, I don't know. That would be my, if I was giving odds, I'd have her at like minus 230 to take the job. Um, so who knows? But I feel like it was weird. Like the sideline reporter gig, I feel like you have to murder somebody to get fired from. If if they're if they're truly going in another direction and bring in someone and just kind of replace her salary, um, I don't get why you would do that. The fans liked her. Was she a great quote unquote sideline reporter? I don't know. To me, they you know all those segments are exactly the same. Um, but you know she was did her job professionally. She had a good rapport with the players. Part of the fun of that is making the broadcast fun. And when they're dancing behind her, like, you know what? Like she knew them well. I think they, you know, half of them all live in the Ritz. Like, you know, I don't know. She had, she had a good relationship with them and it, it worked. And she was good with Mark and Allah. I thought their dynamic worked. That's yeah, the best that was part the of it. Thing. Like what else right do you want from dynamic? But yeah, like, yeah you're not you're right. getting like, fucking Tom Brokaw on the side. You know, you're not breaking news. I'm it, sitting here by... Oh, I'm sitting here. Oh, oh, come, on, come over here, I'm Molly. Here, come back here to my hotel. Marco. Marco Fultz is here. I'm Marco. Is it in your head or is it in your shoulder? I just went, I just went the, Tom Brokaw usually, me too. I don't know if you noticed that. I did not. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, usually, but like in fairness, like usually when somebody leaves the team, when they leave that role as a sideline reporter, right? Like the the one that comes to mind is uh, Meredith Morakovitz, who um, had done the role previously. And she ended up, I think she was there during some of the process time, right? And then she ended up getting a job as the Yankees reporter um, for the Yes Network. So like that was a, a clear uh, moving up in the world. Yeah. In this case, like to, to part ways with your sideline reporter, I mean... Uh, unless there is an untold story here that we don't know about, which I'm not saying there is, it it is strange timing and it seems like a dumb move. She but, was our I mean, junior. Um, oh, <laughs> I mean, well, <laughs> that would no, no, no. But I mean, be, right? Yeah. You know, look, uh, what's the job of the side? People have to like them, and people liked her. So if it's just a cost cutting thing, okay, fine. Like you're Comcast, you're doing what you do. You know, God forbid Comcast, you know loses x number you know doesn't have this money to spend fine i get it but if you replace them that i don't understand that's why i'm saying it sounds like they're cutting back on that role which means if you're greg murphy who um you know i like greg but i i don't know how much he's adding to the phillies broadcast you know i can't imagine that job or even chris tarian's job who does a does a good job if, if you're dialing back in that regard i feel like those other, those other people might be in danger as well but who knows? I don't know anything there. I'm just, I'm just uh, totally rapidly uh, spec- speculating. All right. Well, um, I, I guess over the weekend we'll kind of get a better idea of uh, of things that are going around in uh, Sixersdom, and uh, we'll be back at some point next week with hopefully two shows. I think is what we're going to plan on, right? Two. Um, don't forget to go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast that drops Tuesdays with uh, Anthony Sanfilippo and Bob Wankel. Uh, we've got Snow the Goalie, typically on Thursdays with uh, Anthony Sanfilippo, the Crossing Broad Flyers beat writer, and me. Um, Crossing Broad FC, we dropped a new episode, I believe, yesterday. Uh, that was Phil Kaidel and, uh, and me talking about the World Cup. If you were looking for a way to sound more intelligent in your conversations with people about the World Cup. If you're not a soccer fan, go back and check out the World Cup preview show where we broke down all the groups and uh, 
the most recent episode was recapping the first 16 games of match day one. We are in the midst of match day two as it currently stands. Uh, and of course, Phil now Kydell, that Kevin will Kydell be... and Kydell, I'm only licensed in Missouri, but we have attorneys <laughs> who are licensed in your state. <laughs> Call Kydell and Kydell, a partner <laughs> that men can trust. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I, I, was, I was like to say... Uh, um, you can find him on Twitter at Phil Kaidel. That's K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. Oh, you were Phil supposed Kydell. to do a Keith Pompey. You were supposed to give me what? an underdog. What was, what was the Keith for? There was, was a, the... there was a tweet last night from uh, Keith Pompey. Oh, no. Oh, wait. Hold on. Let's find it. Quick. All hurry. Right, you do your shtick, and I'll find okay. it. Okay. Um, Kevin has been in Europe for the last few weeks, so uh, he's going to be back, and when he gets back, we'll be uh, uh, putting up a new episode of It's Always Soccer like, what in happened Philadelphia. What happened? But, by the way, this is a, a thing that... Um, uh, I don't know how many people are going to care about, but uh, there's a thing on the site for a ticket IQ for the Philadelphia Union. If you've ever been a Philadelphia Union fan and you've grown away from the team, tomorrow, the 23rd, it's a Saturday, a 5 o'clock game against the Vancouver Whitecaps. They're uh, going to be doing the inaugural induction of uh, um, Sebastian Latou into the Union Ring of Honor. So that's a thing. It was also over the, Kevin's the, house. He was at Kevin's house a few weeks ago for the podcast. Yes, for the 50th episode of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Where would is you have the lost underdog your mind play? if you were in the house with Kevin while Latou walked in? Like, what no. would you have done? Nothing. Just I saw Latou multiple times in Westchester because he, he used to live in Westchester. Yeah. Um, he would shop at the the Giant where one of my friends uh, like works in the produce. Day. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. 10.13 in Slack I'll tell you what. Night. It's Keith Pompey. So, 10.13 Okay, PM. I'll find it. Find it right 10, now. 10.13 in, in general? Yes. Okay. Um the only person who I've ever been starstruck by was when we did the uh, the interview with uh, Hextall because he was so much taller than I ever expected. All right, let's see. Ten thirteen. He wants to beat shit out of Chris Chelios. So that, this is this is good. Down. This is good pod. Uh, all right, here we go. <clears throat> Zaire Smith said that Brett Brown told him he reminds him of Kawhi Leonard. Locked on Sixers. Thank you. I needed that this morning. All right, good. I hope that's the pick-me-up you need. also enjoyed your commercial voice for Cordell and Cordell. Give me that again. Call the law offices of Kydell and Kydell, a partner that men can trust. That's pretty good. You sound like 1950s guy from Family Guy. Oh, okay. I'll take that. Yeah. That's fine. All right. All right. Thank you for listening to The Crossing Broadcast, brought to you by The Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Remember, if you are interested... In advertising on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network on the Crossing Broadcast, reach out to Kyle on Twitter at Crossing Broad or me, Russ Joy at Joy on Broad. And until next week, that is Kyle. I am Russ. We will talk to you again next week.